Welcome to another episode of Everything College Basketball Podcast, where you'll find out everything that happened in the college hoops world. Now, here's your host of the show, Josh, Peyton, and Tyler. Welcome to another edition of Everything College Basketball, episode number 25. I'm, of course, Josh Burton. Peyton Burton. Tyler Cook. And this is our Memorial Day special. Um, of course, everything that, like normal is presented by Applied Right Painting Services. And like I said, this is Memorial Day. So uh, thank a veteran. Uh, you know, everybody's kind of probably chilling today. If you Some of you may have to work. If you're not, you're chilling. Thank a veteran because without them, today wouldn't be possible. That's right. Um, so we got a good show for you today. Like always, nothing different. But... Our summer series continues to roll on, and as voted by you guys in the poll previous, today's topic, Butler's back-to-back magical runs. Some will say maybe the real-life Hoosiers of the college basketball world. Um, Definitely unexpected. We've got a loaded show coming up for you. But first, let's go ahead and get into some of the big recruiting news. We say it every week, especially the summer period. Recruiting doesn't stop, and this is the hottest period of the month. Peyton, turn it over to you. All right, let's get started here. There's not much. I try to look for some a lot like I had last couple weeks, but I still find some, but just not a lot. Starting off, Florida has extended an offer to five-star sophomore Harrison Ingram. Five-star sophomore Paolo Banchero was offered by Memphis. Paolo Banchero, offered by Memphis. Memphis is already, I mean, I don't blame them. Their, their role is going right now. They're already reaching out to five-star kids in sophomore class to build that relationship. I, I, dude, we will say it until, like, the season begins. If Penny and staff can even halfway coach these kids, Memphis is going to be a handful. I'm waiting to see what happens. Auburn has extended an offer to five-star junior Cam Thomas. Cam Thomas. Is that Tyler's boy from uh, – I'm pretty sure it's Cam Thomas, yeah. From um, – EYBL. EYBL, boy. Buckets. Dude, he'd fit in well at Auburn as much as he likes to shoot. Yes, he would. Get him, Brucey. Virginia Tech has offered four-star junior Donovan Johnson. Is that That's Donovan Johnson, that Cam Johnson's brother, right, that Carolina's already offered? Yeah, Carolina, Louisville, all of them. Arkansas has offered four-star junior Kareem Mane. Or Maine, depends on how you say it. Dude, Eric Musselman is going to do big things at Arkansas. I guarantee it. Raise him, X. Auburn will host five-star junior Walker Kessler for an official visit next weekend. Dude, I'm telling you, Auburn, I, the coaching in the SEC is – the reason the conference has been so good the last two years is because the programs went out and hired quality coaches. And I, I feel like the conference moving forward is going to be right there in the conversation every year with like the ACC and Big Ten, Big 12. I think they're all going to be right there. Louisville will host top 30 junior Hunter Dickinson for the official visit next weekend. That's another EYBL kid. That's the one Peyton, to see. Yeah, that's the one Peyton really was like. Big, big lefty. Big white kid down the post. Yep. yep. Go back to our EYBL episode a couple weeks ago. Check our uh, review out from that. Uh-huh. Arkansas will host four-star junior Che Evans for an unofficial visit beginning June 8th and ends June 9th. So, yeah. Five-star Jaden McDaniels has committed to Washington. Now, this is the kid that 
it was kind of, you know, controversial is not the right word, but it was a mystique around him, right? Yeah. Because at one point, he kept, he keeps pushing his um, his commitment date back, and then there's rumors coming out he might go to Washington. And then Kentucky's the favorite. Evan Daniels and them say Kentucky's favorite. And then uh, basically at like the the 23rd hour there, that or the 11th hour, whatever that phrase is, uh, basically at the 11th hour, Evan, Evan Daniels and company make a late change in the crystal ball to Washington. McDaniels, was it like a day or later, commits to Washington he State? He at like 2 a.m. Yeah, he, he did it via Instagram. No, pretty, Instagram. pretty dope, too. Yeah. If you got a chance to check it out. That's pretty dope to see yeah. how he did it. Um, he did it without a lot of fanfare. Uh, I mean, like, there was, but he didn't like make this big announcement for everybody. He just kind of quietly in the night released the Instagram video. And he commits to UW, and Washington now has become a legit favorite in the Pac-12. I know, we know Arizona is going to be really good, but Washington, you think you got Jaden McDan- or Jaden McDaniel's? You've got um, Isaiah Stewart, two five-star kids, and in the second half of the year, you get Quad A Green, former five-star kid from Kentucky. You get at least a core of a point guard, small forward, and center. Build some pieces coming back. It, it Washington would be top ten, top fifteen good if they brought back Matthias Stiebel. Yeah, I mean, if he came back, if he whatever reason said, "All right, I'm coming back," I'm not putting my name in the draft. Washington's a team that's top ten good. Matthias Stiebel, the real deal for them. Don't they got till the 29th to? They got till two days. Two days. Two days. Two days. Yeah. Uh-huh. We're gonna see a lot of mixing up coming up. I think. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of kids really went there and figured out <clears> that they weren't ready. Or that teams weren't looking at them, and it's going to be our our preseason way too early is going to just shake the world out. <laughs> oh hell yeah! It already has a little bit. Yes, sir. We'll talk about that here in a second. I got a couple of interesting ones. Five saw Trevor Wofford is committed to LSU. Now I was wrong. I, I knew this one. I, I Peyton. I, we need to keep our trust in him. He's been pretty damn accurate. I thought it was a legacy recruit. I thought for sure for months that uh, you've heard me get on here and say and reassure the IU folks that uh, he's coming to Indiana, and I really thought he was. Um, you know, I thought it was one of those deals he would follow his big brother's footsteps, especially he'd go to IU and start right now. Um, I know LSU will have starting time and even probably Alabama, but I really thought that Indiana would be – you know, and still it's Indiana for the most part. Um, but I was wrong. I was wrong. Um, Peyton called it the whole time. Yep. I, You know what, too? I also thought he might go to stay in state, go to Alabama. Because I was yeah. ready. We I've talked to you guys about this. Had he stayed with Alabama, I had an article already written to Ray release. Because Alabama is going to be good next year. Had he went to Alabama and stayed in state, Alabama is real loaded good. Mm-hmm. Five-star R.J. Hampton will be announcing his college decision tomorrow on ESPN's Get Up show. His final three are Kansas, Memphis, and Texas Tech. Tomorrow being, I'm going to cut you off, tomorrow for reference, uh, we're recording on Memorial Day Monday, uh, the 27th of May. Yep. Tomorrow, obviously, being Tuesday, the 28th of May, just kind of for some reference. Mm-hmm. So he's down to Kansas, Memphis, and Texas Tech. He just recently cut off Kentucky off of his list. I really want to switch to Kansas right now, but I'm not Evan Daniels. I'm switching last minute. I'm sticking with Memphis. Here's what's going to happen. Grimes is going to commit to stay into the draft, open up that spot for Hampton. Here he comes, the Jayhawks. Uh, I, man, 
At this point, I think it's a 50-50 race. And no offense to Texas Tech, and he could surprise us all. We actually had a, a, um, a prediction in our Facebook group. Brian Bo Foster says Texas Tech. I, you know, I wouldn't bet anything it's Chris Beard right now because he's the man. He's outside of Coach Calipari. He's my favorite coach probably. But we'll say it's 50-50, man. Does Penny get him and Memphis becomes maybe the number one maybe number one team in the preseason poll next year? They will be. If they get RJ, they will be. Or or does Kansas get him and Kansas kind of raises that shit back up because they've got some good news coming, which is a segue, Tyler. I know you're ready to break this. Well, not really break it, but I'm ready. This is the greatest thing I've had (laughs) to say all week. And let me tell you something right here. The NCAA (laughs) has came in and appealed everything of Day Sosa. (laughs) Day Sosa has been released. So just like a cup of coffee, you get the creamy and the creamer in there. Kansas is going to rise back to the top. We got De Sosa down on a block with Azabuke. You know this kid. They had twelve hundred bucks show up somewhere in his family that he didn't even see, and they just they really put the hammer on this kid. And I think after seeing what they've done, what the lack of what they've done to these other coaches with way more, they finally let the appeal happen. You know, Day Sosa's coming back on the court. If you haven't seen what this kid can do, you're about to find out. He's going to be a junior. He played maybe 13 games up until now, but he's been on the practice floor every single day. He's been on the bench cheering his team on. He never faltered. I think he's going to come out with something to prove, and it's going to be something special to see them guys. They, this is going to be the best front court in the nation. I don't care what anybody's got to say on this because this is just my opinion. JRO, it's a no, whatever you got to say, Tim Foster, whatever. <laughs> but this this is huge news for me personally, huge, monumental. No, I, I think that's a good stuff, and I'm glad you brought that up because I think that's absolutely accurate. I think had the NCAA not already screwed up with their lack of discipline between like an Arizona or LSU or whoever or North Carolina and precedents, I, I think they would have stuck to their guns and De Souza would have been NBA bound. Yeah. But I think you're right. I think that there's mounting pressure for whatever, you know, and they're like, well, uh, it's kind of become the Wild West anyway, so let's go ahead and, uh, you know, win his appeal and he becomes eligible. And I, I think you're right. I don't – I'd have to really sit there and think uh, maybe like a Gonzaga would challenge. But as far as experience and talent coming back, you bring um, – Adoka Azabuke back. You bring Sylvia D'Souza back. Candace is, Candace is good in the the starting four and five spots. Uh, you know, and we talk about this off air. This allows Bill to go back to what his bread and butter is. Now it gives him two bigs to play the high low game. I think the only fear is if they get zoned, if one of them's going to be able to hit a jump shot because Azabuke is going to play in around the rim ninety nine percent of the time, and I think D'Souza needs to. Right now, as we speak, he needs to be in the gym working on that little 15- to 17-foot jump shot. You don't need to hit a three. He just needs to be able to hit some, spread it out. Because you think about, too, Kansas, when they were always real good, we were in the high-low. They had, like, the Morris twins. And both of them could stretch the floor. Both of, yeah, there you go. Both of them could stretch the floor. Both of them could post up. So you go out to guard one in fear of he's shooting the jumper. And the other one seals in, dumps down. Uh, I think Kansas, though, it puts them back on the map. And we mentioned R.J. Hampton. If they were to get R.J., Kansas is back in the mix for a Final Four national championship after kind of laying low for a little while and maybe missing out on a few people. Now the, um, you know, it's kind of swinging back the other way. Yep, I've been watching these message boards just based on Kansas, and then the hype's just really been getting a lot hotter here lately, and it's it's warranted. 
you know, you got RJ possibly now De Sosa, Dotson possibly, Grimes possibly. There's there's a lot of like that's why I mentioned earlier that our preseason poll can be really shaken up because of everything that's happened, not just with Kansas but across the country. Yeah, and I think too, um, I, I'm interested to see because De Sosa, you know, an athletic guy, bigger guy, and you have an athletic wing in uh, Oche Abaji that's coming back for another year, continue to work on his jump shot. Kansas could be back to playing really fast in the open court. I'm hoping. So um, big big news for the Jayhawks and maybe even bigger news coming up. Um, we turn our attention from that exciting news for Tyler. We've got some uh, unfortunate news back to back just over this past you know, Memorial Day weekend, actually, within the last you know, what, 72 hours. It started off with a Wisconsin assistant, um, Howard Moore. Um, I'll read the article here. Wisconsin men's basketball assistant coach Howard Moore is recovering from injury, suffering a car crash early Saturday that claimed the lives of his wife and daughter. Um, that's rough. Yeah. Uh, that You know, that's – damn, that's rough. Um, and you see it around the coaching community too. Um, you've seen everybody, any big-name coach um, reach out. You've seen all the media personalities. It's one thing to lose one. You never want to lose one. But you lose them both in the same amount of time that you're in the you're in there with them. And, like, you survive. Uh, I'm not saying this is what he's going through, but I could just imagine my end. Like, there's, I'm sure there's a lot of guilt. And nothing you can handle. I mean, nothing that you could do to stop it. But I'm sure there's... Like, hey, why why am I here and they're gone? And just um, – that's a tough one. I don't like reporting on stuff like that. Me either. Uh, so – No, we've had to earlier this year too with Jim Beheim and all that crazy stuff. It's just – it happens all across the world, but these guys are in the limelight and it's just – it's even more of a, of a focal point to see and hear. And it's just – it's always tragic to talk about, but – you know, we're, we're everything college basketball, so we, we put out everything that we hear, good or bad, but th- this was a very unfortunate event for sure. Yeah, so our um, our thoughts and everything's with uh, Coach Moore and the whole, like his whole family and the community, and it didn't any better. <laughs> uh, normally, man, I don't know if lucky's the right word, but normally we only have like maybe one story like this a month or one every other month, but we got two this weekend. Uh, it wasn't just, you know, Howard Moore from Wisconsin. Uh, Auburn radio voice, uh, Rod Bramlett, he was in a uh, car wreck as well. Um, oh, no, sorry, his wife was in a car wreck, and she passed away. <clears throat> she passed away. Uh, Rod's the voice of the Auburn Tigers, most notoriously known for his football calls. Yeah. I do some basketball and some other stuff. And, uh, damn, that is – it, she passed away early Sunday morning, so early yesterday morning when it broke. And um, damn, dude, this is tough. <laughs> um, you know, Rob's fifty-two. His wife Paula's fifty-three. Um, she died from multiple internal injuries from the wreck. Uh, basically, had a head injury from it. And um, yeah. So he says Rod's been doing baseball since 1993, and he took over football play-by-play duties for for football and basketball in 2003. So that's where it kind of ties in with us. Rod's known for most – probably notoriously known for that, what, four or five years ago when Auburn ran the kick six back on Alabama and upset them. He said, they're going to do it. They're going to do it and have that historical call. So, yeah. 
Damn, dude. That, I, I don't like reporting on that stuff, but our thoughts and prayers go out to um, to Rob Bramlett and his family and Howard Moore and his family uh, losing lives and daughter. And God, that sucks. Yeah, that's, that's the rough end of the spectrum. Uh, that, uh, that sucks. Moving on, uh, other news. UCLA hires uh, assistant coach Michael Lewis. Michael Lewis, everybody here around here knows who he is. Played at IU under Bobby Knight back in the day, late nineties. Tough nine or tough minded guard. Excuse me. Tough minded guard had had some coaching experience. He had previously been, had assistant jobs at Butler, Eastern Illinois, and Stephen F. Austin. He spent the last three years in the same role at Nebraska. Mick Cronin taps him to bring L, or UCLA. I think it's a good hire. Uh, Lewis still young enough, relatively, you know, that he get out there and really work people. Up and coming guy. Got you. Got experience. I think it's good hire. Mm-hmm. Good hire. So, um, trying. To, oh, and we also had another hire. This is mega news. We talked about it, alluded to it last week on the program, but Michigan made it official finally. They took a little longer what me and Tyler would probably like to see them do, but they oh, finally wow. got the deal done. Bringing back Fab Five Michigan legend Jawan Howard. Jawan Howard becomes a new head man at, in Ann Arbor, and we'll see. He's got – NBA coaching experience, been an assistant with Miami Heat for the last few seasons. Yep. So he's got those connections the same way kind of, you know, Penny Penny does, and we see that trend going now. So we'll see. Um, I think the number one test will be – we'll see how he does on the recruiting trail. Yeah, Juwan, this is, this is what we kind of predicted, I think, across the board here. Even in the group, everybody is wanting to, to talk about Juwan Howard coming on. And, and regardless if he can coach or not, he is the name. He is on one of the most notorious teams of all time. You know, one of the most well-known teams, a very big factor on that team. So bringing in a guy like this is, regardless if he can coach or not, which I'm pretty damn sure he can from what he's done at Miami, it's it's huge for these guys, especially after leaving or Mayheim going uh, so quickly to uh, to Cleveland, just so up and abruptly leaving like that. But it's, it's going to be good for these guys, I think, in the long run. I would imagine. Now, we can take guesses here. Um, I would imagine that Michigan, because Michigan's been, has the the uh, pedigree under B-line. You know, they're going to defend, they'll shoot the three, run patient offense. I would imagine under Javon Howard, you're going to see Michigan be like a Fab Five style. You're going to see a fast offense. You're going to see getting after you defensively with a lot of pressure still. But I'd imagine they're going to try to score 90 a game. Oh, yeah, why not? I, I'd yeah. imagine the style of play that he's going to bring in, that they're going to – obviously they're willing to defend. They're not going to give up points because the Fab Five defended. But you're going to see a lot of swagger. And I think you're going to see guys like Jalen Rose be back on campus. I mean, it would be something if you get Chris Webber back. Let's get Chris Webber back because he sucks as an announcer. Yeah. I can't stand him <laughs> to him on TNT. Yeah. I'm sorry, Chris, but you're just you're not you're not my cup of tea. Go on the bench and help Juwan Howard out. I would like to see him because he hasn't even came back for – Maybe he came back for the Final Four a couple years ago in Louisville. But I would like to see him It put it all behind you. I know the whole deal. Come That's back. You know, the whole scandal or whatever. Bring him back. But as far as Juwan Howard, I think it's – we all agree I think it's a good hire because you needed somebody quick with a name value. He's coming back home, so let's see how he does. Um, I'm, I'm hoping the best because <laughs> I'd like to see Michigan continue to do well. And let's see. The first trick's going to be on the recruiting trail. He needs to bring back the five-star kid that's decommitted. Yeah, Jalen Wilson. Jalen Wilson, he needs to bring him back. And if he gets him, that's a good start. And let's see. 
Um, if I'm Michigan, I'd build a perimeter around Michigan and Detroit. Um, don't let any of those kids get out. You stay in state like they used to, and then you build outward, go national. But I think it's a good hire. I give it an A. I think it's a good hire for now. As far as the name and everything, it's A+. Plus, man, I don't think you could get a better coach to fit a program in such a short time frame than Juwan Howard at Michigan. Yeah, I agree. A+. plus. But really early recruiting news, um, it came out after he got hired that right now Michigan's the favorites to get Zaire Wade and Bonnie James to commit. Mm-hmm. Ooh, that'd be a hell of a package mm-hmm. right there. You're talking about legacy. But you think, too, Jawan played them years in Miami with Dwayne and with LeBron, and yep. he's got that connection. Now, that's something interesting. Whether We know Bronny's good. We talked about it. We know Zaire's really good, smooth. Whether they become college superstars, whatever, is to be determined. But getting those two is name value, knowing Dwayne – and LeBron would be in the crowd to see their boys play, knowing they're coming to Ann Arbor, Michigan, playing in the Big Ten. You will trickle down, and you will get recruits, whether it's Just right or wrong. They'll want to come be like play in front of LeBron. They'll want to play for Juwan Howe. He could become the new Penny Hardaway. He could become the new hot coach. Yep. I don't see those two playing together because they, they control the ball so much. Like as far as a guard, they're not like hogs, but they, they're just – they're floor generals. And maybe maybe they can make it work. Maybe they could go to a two-point guard system like some schools have in the past. But it's early recruiting news, which is which is cool to hear. But I, I don't see that meshing well between these two kids. I think the only thing they got going for them is that they consider themselves kind of like brothers or cousins, and they're real tight. So yeah, maybe the chemistry is there. You know what I'm saying? Oh, I'm play. not doubting that. Um, I think it would be interesting. I actually think it would be real fun uh-huh. uh, to see them in Ann Arbor together. I'd rather them go there than Duke. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean no offense. But. Well, that's that's probably the lead hitter for uh for Bronny. It's probably Duke as of right now. Yeah. But you th- you throw your you got to throw your name in the hat to get somebody, and Jawan Howard's going to do it. Yeah. It, it like I said, it's going to be real interesting to see how Michigan progresses from here. But with that, oh, another piece of news. It's it's news, but it's not. The last piece I wanted to bring up. We've talked a lot about Memphis. It came out this past week that Penny Hardaway has said and here recently that he's had talks with John Calipari about playing a series together. Now, would it happen this year? I don't know. I would. I mean, this year would be awesome because Memphis is going to be good. Kentucky's going to be good. Let's get them going. Memphis, and Penny's even said, well, we'll play them home and home. We'll play them neutral. It doesn't matter. I think the neutral part saves it because right or wrong, Calipari – does not like playing home and homes. He wants to play on the big stage, neutral. He wants to get ready for the Final Four, tournament atmosphere. To a degree, I like it. But to a degree, man, I'd like to go us play on the road some too. I'd like to see us in a home and home with like IU and Memphis and Kansas and this, that, and the other, right? Yeah. <clears throat> the, the I can't fault him because the dude knows what he's doing. He's got a great track record. But with that being said, let's get this Memphis-Kentucky game going. If they could get it going for this year, there would be not be another college basketball game more viewed by the people on television than Kentucky-Memphis, with the exception of Duke-Carolina. That would be yeah. the number one viewed game in the regular season. Mm-hmm. Because especially – because more than likely they'd play in Nashville because Cal wouldn't go back to Memphis. I get it. But if you played those two in Nashville or a neutral site – as good as Memphis is, as good as Kentucky, with the history between Cal Perry and Memphis, and da da da, and Penny, this that, it'd be the number one viewed game in college basketball until the Duke Carolina games. Yeah, but why? Why wouldn't you want to go back to Memphis and say, "Look, I've upgraded, guys. 
try and stop me. You know, I, I'd love to see it. He's went home and home with Kansas. He has been doing that. But it, it's it's that's you want to talk about getting ready for the tournament. That's you know a hostile environment and on the road, not a neutral site where it's half and half. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. See, that's I would, what I'm talking I, about. I would love it. You're not going to get any too. argument with I'd me. I'd love I, to see it. I think what stopped him is a couple years back that Memphis was going to honor him, bring him back to the FedEx Forum for a game, and they was going to honor him, and I don't know if they were going to retire. Whatever. They was going to honor him, right? And there was so much backlash from the Memphis fans that they canceled it. And I think that set sour with him and that he won't come back. I, he was back a couple years ago when we was in the Elite Eight, Sweet 16 Elite Eight in North Carolina beat us on that shot. That was played in the FedEx forum. But I think the backlash, and really, I love Coach, Coach Calipari. Don't get me wrong, but I'll go on record and say he can be kind of petty. Yeah. He can be, ba- oh, hey, you don't want me now? Well, you, I'm not coming. You know what I'm saying? Like, eh, just let some of it go. Vanita, eh, you know. <laughs> He's Italian, man. Give me the pasta. Uh, but with that said, I you guys down for a Memphis-Kentucky series? Oh, yeah. I love that. it, especially this year. They need to, like, for these teams that are always good every year, I know it'll be difficult, but they need to like a lot one game each year to match up with another team like Arizona. We didn't expect them to be this good as far as getting recruits. Maybe Arizona versus Carolina. Just just Ooh, throw it out there. Just, awesome. just anybody. There's just have these like there's a, a there's five teams that's every year that's always going to be good. And then five that's up and coming, you know, like Gonzaga or, you know, Arizona popping in there or something, Washington even. Yeah. Get, get these interesting matchups that you don't normally get. It's, you might not even get in a tournament. I know it would be difficult as far as scheduling and everything, but mark a date on each schedule for these guys and try, try and make it happen. I like it. Do it in, ju- yep. do it in early cool. July because by then everybody pretty much knows who you got anyways. Oh, yeah. So you know the roster and just start like, do two pods. Do like, we'll put five teams in this one. Five, and then like, if you don't want Duke Carolina playing, obviously, because they're already playing in the conference, you don't want to conflict that. Put them, in, put them in the same pod so they can't match up with each yeah. other. And then you draw and make like a spectacle online or something on ESPN. Like, oh my God, and this is where we'll play at. Blah, blah. It would be awesome. Yeah. It'd be awesome. It would be freaking dope. Yep. Um, get matchups maybe you've not seen. I like that idea. When we take over college basketball one day, Tyler is in charge of that because I like that. Guys, we're going to do it. I don't care. Peyton, tell me who's recruiting. I'll tell you who's going to play. <laughs> <laughs> um, with that being said, before we get on to our Butler stuff, Peyton, we just had we off the heels of my favorite wrestling pay-per-view in a long time. AEW's debut event, Double or Nothing, this past Saturday night. <clears throat> awesome event. Our friend Conrad Cushion had it all covered in those preview shows and leading up and post shows. Go ahead and give some love to Mr. Conrad. Conrad Cushman is the host of the Everything Pro Wrestling podcast. Everything Pro Wrestling is a show by the fans, for the fans. And you can find that show on Anchor, iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and all other podcast hosting sites. He also has a YouTube channel, so go to YouTube.com and the search bar type in everything pro wrestling and hit that subscribe button. Also, Conrad and his wife celebrated this past Saturday as well, celebrated their first wedding anniversary. So happy anniversary, fellas. Yep. Or fella, Conrad and wife. <laughs> I almost call them both fellas. Um, happy anniversary, though, from everybody here at Everything College Basketball. Uh, thank you for your support and continue to roll on. Yep. But when we continue to roll on on the other side of this break, we are talking all things Butler's magical back-to-back run. What led to it? Who was the key players? How in the hell did Butler make a Final Four in back-to-back years? National championship games in back-to-back years at that. We will tell you 
on the other side as episode 25 of Everything College Basketball rolls on. Hey guys, Peyton here from ECB. I'm here to tell you about my wrestling podcast that's called The J3X Show. That's only on YouTube. You'll see predictions, pay-per-view views, and live streams on there. So go ahead and like, share, and subscribe. Also, go follow the show on Twitter at J3X Show. Ooh, yeah, brother. All right, guys, and we're back. Before we get into the... Uh the Butler back to back. We got a shout out here for everybody that's been with us. We already know, but our sponsor here is uh, Applied Right Painting Services with JRO. As always, his uh, information stays in the announcements in the group. So anything you need as far as painting, commercial, residential, you got family or friends that need help with a, a painting gig, uh, go in there and hit him up because everything that you guys offer to him from us, we get a kickback as well, a five percent kickback. So. You're helping two small groups here, small businesses, to, to continue to grow. JR has always got openings. He's always looking, but he's busy as well. So if he can get you in, just get in there and get a hold of him, guys. Everything uh, that your painting services need is JRO and Applied Right Painting Services. Absolutely. I'm always with us. And like Tyler said, this is a... This is sponsored, and the segment's brought to you by Applied Right Painting Services. So let's go ahead, and without further ado, this was one our, our poll a couple weeks ago. Everybody wants to hear about the Butler back-to-back, and I would say, I would go as far as to say before we get into it, this is, and I mentioned it, this is as close as we will get to the Hoosiers scenario possibly ever. Um, you think about it, it's, and it happens right here in Indiana too with a small college, and who in, the, who in their right mind, not only one Final Four, but to make back-to-back Final Fours for Butler. Dude, you think about it. It's harder than hell for a Kentucky or Kansas or Louisville to do that. Oh, yeah. yeah. How Butler did it. And their, their seeds these years, the, the 2010, they were a five seed. And in 2011, they were an eight seed. So they weren't like, they weren't super up there. They were within the top 20 teams, yeah, 25 teams. But it was, this was a fight. And we'll get into the people that they had to take out. But it was no easy feat. They had no coast to the final four at all. So Butler, we just you know talking about this back to back. Let's hear a little history on Butler, okay? Leading up to 2010, they had only made the tournament a whopping nine times. The first being 1962, and they didn't make it again until 1997. That was a 35 year stretch where Jeez. Butler was not even in the tournament. That's even including the space of when the tournament was only like 16 teams, 32 teams, and then up to 64. Butler went 35 years without making the tournament. But prior to 2010, they had made the tournament nine times. How many – what was their best finish? Twice. Because in 1962, they would made the Sweet 16. I'm not discrediting that, but that's – things were a little different. So in the modern era, when the tournament expanded in 1985, Butler made the Sweet 16 twice. 2003, they made the Sweet 16 by beating – they were a 12 seed, knocked off number five Mississippi State, knocked off number four Louisville – and was beaten by the number one seed, Oklahoma. That 2003 team had, uh, oh, my God, Archie. Uh, oh, my dear Lord, I just completely forgot his name. But anyways, he, like, set a record, hit so many free throws in a row. That Butler team was good. Um, but Sweet 16, first ever time, really, in the modern era. And then you go to 2007. 2007, they make the Sweet 16. They're a five seed, knockoff number 12, Old Dominion, knockoff the four seed, Maryland. 
and then lose to eventual champions, number one seed Florida, and probably gave Florida their best game all tournament. Mm-hmm. That's that Florida team, Joe Kim Noah, Al, Al Horford, Corey Brewer, um, the Humphrey. Oh God, I can't think of his first name. Humphreys. That Florida team was great, and Butler put them to the water. Right? Might have been. What, me Kardashian boy? Oh, no, no, this is a different one. <laughs> you're, 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 yeah, you're thinking the other one. This is a white kid. But um, 2007, that team was good. They had A.J. Graves on that team. Uh, that Butler team was good. So they made the Sweet 16 twice um, and nine tournament appearances. So how do we get to where we're at in the 29-2010 National Championship runner-up team? Well, it all started in 2007. 2007, Butler previous in those run, like 2003 and all that. Butler had been coached by Todd Licklider. Todd Licklider left Butler and pursued bigger opportunities, went to the Big Ten to coach the Iowa Hawkeyes. This left a hole, obviously, in Butler's um, head man. They turned to former, you know, in-state and former and a current Butler assistant coach, Brad Stevens. Brad Stevens, born and raised in Zionsville, Indiana. He started on Zionsville Community High School, setting four school records. After high school, he attended DePaul University. We played basketball and a degree in economics. He made all conference team multiple times. Then he kind of he got out of basketball. He uh, he transitioned into coaching, or he transitioned after basketball playing college. He went to work for Eli Lilly Company, and Finally got that itch, came back. He transitioned to coaching after quitting his job at Eli Lilly, which for people who don't know, you don't just quit Eli Lilly. Like you're making tons of money working yeah, that, there. There's lifers. That's a lifer job. Yeah. You don't just quit, but he had that itch and he followed it. He joined Butler's program as volunteer prior to 2000, 2001 season. He was promoted to a full-time assistant following the season and spent five years in the role, and then in, on April 4, 2007, after Todd Licklider left, Butler said, come on, Brad Stevens, we'll hire from within, and it turned out to be the best decision Butler ever made, mm-hmm. um, hiring from within. In his first year, the 2007-2008 season, Brad led Butler to a 30-win season, becoming the third youngest head coach in Division One history to have a 30-win season. If that didn't tell you, and the argument always well does look lighters players, and that is true to a degree, but you still got to coach them, man. And that was kind of like a precursor to things to come for the greatness of Brad Stevens. Yeah, because if, if you talk about that, you're like, well, they're this coach's players are not yours. It showed as time went on, they continued to get better. You know, you got these some coaches that come in like, well, they won on the heels of X amount of players' coaches, and then a few years later, they're just not as good. Brad Stevens came in there, took those players, and continued to bring in quality in-state players, which is always good, and continued to grow and grow and get better and get better and get better and, and eventually put Butler on the map. So he wins 30, 30 games in his first season. As we go on to this 29-2010 magical run, Brad broke the NCAA record for most wins in a coach's first three years, exceeding the previous record by eight wins. He cleared it by eight wins. Um, so Butler, that's kind of laying the background there for you, a little um, history on how Butler gets here. So it's not like it, it was a magical run, but Butler was also, <clears throat> they'd been winning at a fairly high clip, right? They've become a, a solid mid-major. So we get here now, the 29-2010 season. We look at the roster. 
the roster, everybody knows now, but the roster was headlined by Gordon Hayward as a sophomore. Gordon Hayward um, won a state championship for Brownsburg High School in class 2008 by hitting a buzzer beater. Everybody in the state knows how he did it. So he's an in-state, you know, superstar. You also got in-state superstar Matt Howard, a junior at the time from Connorsville. Matt Howard was highly recruited. He came out in the same class that um, Robbie Hummel and Scott Martin, Juwan, um, Juwan Johnson, mm-hmm. Etwan Moore. They were all in that same class. And Matt Howard, um, Indiana All-Star. So, and then Shelvin Mack, Shelvin Mack, sophomore guard from Lexington, Kentucky. At the time, Kentucky was <laughs> uh, under the head man of Tubby Smith and Billy Gillespie. Didn't see much in local kid Shelvin Mack. Butler jumped all over him, and he became a Butler legend. Uh, still playing in the league now. Mm-hmm. Um, Ronald Norred, sophomore kid from Homewood, Alabama. Tough no- tough nose guard, good defender. Jumper, a little shaky, but defend. You got in-state kid Zach Hahn. Um, he's a junior from Newcastle. Lefty could stroke. Good Lord, he could shoot. Zach Hahn. Um, yeah, where is Zach? Oh, yeah, you talk about Zach Hahn. Um, Avery Jukes played a little bit. Uh, Andrew Smith, um, God rest his soul, he's passed away now. Cancer got him a couple years ago. But he was a freshman center from Indianapolis, big kid. He gave him that big anchor down low, the trash guy. You throw it in the post. He could do Sean Van Zant, another guard uh, with experience, a junior from Florida. Willie Beasley, a senior forward kind of guard combo that would defend. So there's kind of the breakdown of that 29-10. You had like no superstars with exception maybe Gordon Hayward. But you had a lot of guys who played Brad's style, who would defend their ass off, who were smart and knew how to play. You watch like Zach Hahn. He'd run off 30 screens Mm -hmm. and hit a shot or he'd pump fake you, get you Owen, and make a swing pass to somebody else. Willie Beasley, Sean Van Zandt attacking the rim. Chase Stiggle could shoot. Andrew Smith, like I said, in the post. You had Ronald Norred who could shoot a little bit, but he was more of a defender playmaker. Shelvin Mack would hit huge shots after huge shots. So this Butler team was made up to do something. Um, you know, getting into the getting into the season, they started off three wins. They beat Davidson, Northwestern, and Evansville. First loss comes to number twenty-two Minnesota. Um, then you they beat UCLA. They lose number nineteen Clemson. So they've got two losses early in the year. Both of them are the top twenty-five teams. Uh, they get a couple in-state wins, and they lose number 15, Georgetown. Georgetown, up in Madison Square Garden, Georgetown was good at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, Georgetown, if I remember right, that's when they had um, Greg Monroe and company. So Georgetown, good. Then they turn around and beat Ohio State. I mean, you think about it, Number 13, Ohio State. They beat Xavier. So Butler, this has kind of always been the thing. Butler plays anybody, anywhere, anytime. They have no fear, right? Um, they lose the UAB that ends their non-conference. They go into conference play with four losses. They're setting an eight and four. You're like, eh, nothing special. They get into conference play. They don't lose. <laughs> they don't lose. <laughs> they roll into the NCAA tournament on a, what, they were eight and four, and they finished 28 and four. So they won 20 games in a row heading into the NCAA tournament. Damn. You know in any league how freaking hard it is to go undefeated. Yeah, especially if, if you're the head man, you're going to get the – regardless of what league you're in, you know, got the, the horizon obviously, but any any small conference, it's going to be headhunters. And Butler was was the head of this conference. Mm-hmm. And 20 wins, that's, that's reeling them off, boys. Plus the Horizon League tournament, smacking people around, guys. They were rolling through everything. 
Sir. They won the Horizon League championship game 70 to 45 against Wright State. Uh yeah, absolutely. And um you you know, you talk about this Butler team too. I think what helped them too is that mentality of playing anybody. You look at the non-conference again. Played in number 22, Minnesota. You play UCLA. You play number 19, Clemson. You play number 15, Georgetown. You play Ohio State, number 13. You play Xavier, who is unranked, but still Xavier. You play at UAB. It's not like they played cupcakes. Yeah. They got out, and they scheduled, and they played. And then when they get the conference, I mean, they you know, they had a couple close games. Detroit at Detroit, they win in overtime. But, look, Youngstown State, they win by 30. They win at University of Illinois, Chicago, 84-55. They at Green Bay, 75-57. Like, it, it's just blowout city. And, again, they're led by um, a young coach that's a motivator, that's a great X's and O's. They're led by Gordon Hayward, a scrawny wing. But, good Lord, he'd get a shot and he'd post you up. Yep, That, that Butler team was built for success. But, like any team that, that – um, comes from a mid-major, a one-bid league, should you say, when they get to the NCAA tournament, they are probably underseeded. They roll into the NCAA tournament as an eight seed. Or was five. Five, sorry, you're right. They, they roll into it as a five seed. You're very correct on that. Where did I have that wrong? Okay, they roll into the NCAA tournament as a five seed. First on the docket, they played UTEP pretty handily. I. Uh, they beat UTEP 77-59, kind of some quick work. Do you got it? Did you have stats on those? I didn't have the stats on those. I just had them on the championship games. Okay. So, oh, okay. so, so they handle UTEP. Eh, okay, good win. Maybe expected. Second round, they play uh, Murray State, who had just won in an upset as a 13 seed. You play Murray State. Murray State gives you all you want. Butler pulls out a – Pulls a rabbit out of the hat, wins 54-52, makes Sweet 16. So in most cases when you're talking mid-majors, you make Sweet 16, That's you're good, right? Yeah, it's probably done, right? Especially if you look who you got next. You get the number one seed in your region, one of the best teams all year. you got Syracuse staring you down the barrel as a one seed in Yeah, was it Syracuse as a six? No, Syracuse was a one. Verse number four. What's the one WR crap? Uh, I'm not sure. Look, Syracuse was one seed. Yeah. Well, what the fuck? Sorry, we're it, we're messing up here. We it, got we got mixed up. No, it, it, sorry. It, it, it's, it's, okay. Right. it's okay. No big deal. But anyways, Sweet Sixteen. Butler's playing Syracuse. This is where you think it's in the line because again, this Syracuse team is more loaded than normal. Um, they had spent. A handful of weeks at number one. You got Scoop Jardine on that team, Brandon Scoop. Trish. You got Chris Joseph, um, Wesley Johnson, who ended up <laughs> was candidate for Player of the Year that year. Um, Arinze Anawaku, Andy Routens, Andy Routens for anybody who remembers, white kid who could just absolutely stroke. And plus, they play that daunting. They play that daunting two-three zone that extends out high. Syracuse again stayed number one for most of the year. I think late in the year, that's when they lost to Louisville. The last game in Freedom Hall. Yep. Yeah, Louisville beats them in regular season, right? Uh-huh. So, kind of background again, Syracuse. I mean, they're Syracuse, right? They're expected to make a Final Four and contend. They're one of the best. I think if that year, too, if you look at it, it was Kansas, it was Syracuse, Kentucky, Duke, probably all the top four teams that year. 
And uh, if I remember, all four of them got a one seed. They did. Mm-hmm. All four they of them. That, so those were the best four teams, um, in my opinion. So getting into it, Butler's playing Syracuse. Butler manages to break the zone and ends up winning 63-59. to 59. You look back, they, out, they led at halftime by 10. So Butler goes in the halftime with momentum. They're up 10. They're 35-25 at halftime, a number one Syracuse. You know how it is when a one seed gets down, an underdog, the whole building's cheers for them. Mm-hmm. It, I mean, no matter who it is. It doesn't matter. Syracuse makes a run. Syracuse actually outscores on the second half. Butler held on. Willie Beasley scored five of those 13 points. Of them. Butler's 11-0 run down the stretch, and the Bulldogs rallied to upset, upset top-seeded Syracuse 63-59 in the West Regional Semifinals. Um, again, uh, Syracuse actually came back. I think it even alluded to they tucked the lead, and Butler held strong. This is that grit and determination that became prevalent with this Butler team. Just kind of look, Gordon Hayward led the way for Butler with 17, uh, pulling up the old box score here. Peyton, Matt Howard, what, had 9 and 7. Yep. Willie Beasley, 13 points. Gordon Hayward, 17 Shelvin Mack fourteen, Ronald Norwood seven, and the only other, the only one person score off the bench. Three bench points. Yep. Sean Van Zant, three bench points, they and were they very were very top heavy. This and year. they were able to beat Syracuse doing that. And you think about it too, they held Syracuse to fifty nine points. Yep. I mean, they were not afraid to muck it up and play in the in the dirt. And well, all these scores show it. They didn't. I mean, other than the first round, they didn't get over sixty five points. They stay true to their defensive identity and would kill. They, you know what? This Butler team, they were more exciting than Virginia, but they were kind of, in a way, similar to Virginia's teams, where they'll they'll defend you, they'll run good offense, and when you think they finally, you know, you've got to stop, two seconds of shot clock left, they hit a three or something. Yeah. Um. They don't. They didn't play the pack line, but you know, similar. Um. So they knock off number one seed Syracuse, move on to the first ever Elite Eight. Who do they meet? They meet the two seed Kansas State. This Kansas State team, coached by Frank Martin, this Kansas State team, um, right there at the top of the Big Twelve with Kansas that year. They were led by, uh, oh my God, like uh, Dennis Clemente, and who was the other guard? I am losing my mind. Fear the beard. Oh, Jacob Pullen. Yep, mm-hmm. Jacob Pullen. Fear the beard. I'm glad you said that. Jacob Pulland, and for those who don't remember, Jacob Pulland and Dennis Clemente were as good a backcourt as you'd find in America. That I year. hated these guys. <laughs> they were as good as backcourt, and everybody knows Frank Martin. You're going to play hard, you're going to defend, you're going to rebound, and Butler out-toughed him. I'll, I remember this game. This was played on a Saturday. I was at the races that night, and keeping an eye on the game and keeping an eye on the game. Butler jumped in the lead. Kansas State comes back. Blah, blah, blah. Butler's up at halftime. Kansas State, I think at one point he got it within one or two points. Butler settles down again, hits some big shots. And I remember late in the game, I don't remember who it was. I want to say it's Gordon Hayward. It might have been him or Shelvin Mack. Late in the game, Kansas State's making a run again, like under a minute. Hayward or whoever it was busts a three from the top of the key wing area, seals the deal. Butler's off to their first Final Four. Um, so you look at that. In a matter of two days, you beat Syracuse, you beat Kansas State, you score 63 points both times, give up 59 and 56. Tyler, how impressive is that? Not only just to make your first Final Four, not only are you coming back to Indianapolis, coming home, but you beat Syracuse 
and Kansas State in the same damn weekend. It's Ooh. it's it was storybook because, like you said, they're coming home. They're playing in their backyard. They knew they knew this coming into the beginning of the year. They reel off twenty some odd wins in a row to get into this, and then you come in, you play probably the top, probably the second number one seed overall, Syracuse, and you're playing a tough, long, lanky zone against one of the candidates for most most outstanding player of the year, uh, Wesley Johnson. You're going against probably one of the best backcourts in the country in Kansas State. You know, you got Frank Martin, who's one of the most tenacious, uh, hard-nosed coaches in the in the country right now, hands bar none. He's like I said before, he's a he's a poor man, Bobby Knight. This guy draws the best out of every kid every night, regardless of what they're doing. And just just will and these just the will to win for Butler here was was more than what these guys had for him, Syracuse or Kansas State. So it was it was the the Cinderella story that everybody wants to see. And it was special for us, especially for our listeners here in Indiana, because they're a hometown team. So when you make the Final Four as a team like Butler, you make it, you're playing with house money. You're not expected to win. But now you're coming back home. The Final Four that year so happened to take place in Indiana, or sorry, Indianapolis. Literally, Butler walked to the stadium yeah, from yeah. their campus. They got to sleep in their own beds. They got it. Everything was normal. So you rarely see that happen. Oh, it's uh-huh. and diamond in the rough. Of all the years, they weren't the Indiana team expected. That year, Purdue was expected to make it. That's when Robbie Hummel went down. I still believe had Hummel not got hurt, Purdue's probably in the Final Four as well because they were that good. Oh, Robbie, Robbie, I give everybody crap about Robbie Hummel. But man, this guy was a special talent, and just it was sad to see him go down. But we still got to see that that homerism with Butler coming in, so it worked out pretty well. Yeah, and that, again, that's something I did to keep in perspective. You don't see that. Like, you don't get the hometown team. In, it's the same way in the Super Bowl. You've never got the hometown team in the Super Bowl. It's the same way here. You never get the hometown team in the Final Four. No. But they got to stay at home. They got to play. So who do they play in the Final Four? They run up against Mr. March, Tom Izzo, and the Michigan State Spartans, who Michigan State themselves went on a run. Uh, Michigan State had a knockoff. I got, I think it's Maryland. They had a had a couple upset victories themselves. Yeah. Um, they knocked off Kansas. Or no, they, that wasn't the year they knocked off Kansas. That was the year before. Sorry, I was thinking somebody else. But anyways, Michigan State. Um, Draymond Green was on the team. Ugh, yeah. So, uh, so Michigan State was pretty damn loaded themselves. Fat Draymond Green, not uh, Peyton, this Golden we, State Draymond Green. We we have a, a story on this, too, if you remember. Remember we went to the Final Four that year yeah, for the right. practices? The practice, yeah. And we ran into the Michigan State bunch of the players and stuff, mm-hmm. like Jalen Lucas and all them at Hooters, Hooters up maybe. in Indy. Yeah. So Butler and Michigan State playing in the Final Four. Obviously, you know, Tom Izzo teams are always good. Butler pulled off another upset. They won 52-50 in a game – Gordon Hayward scored 19 points, collected the final rebound, sending Butler to its biggest victory of 50 uh, to its biggest victory meeting in like in school history. At halftime, the game was tied 28-28. Butler manages outscoring by two. That didn't be in the final. Gordon Hayward finishes the final four game against Michigan State. He had 19 points. Uh, Sheldon Mack 14. Ronald Norad five. Matt Howard four. Uh, Willie Beasley six. And then, again, not a lot of bench points. Two from Avery Jukes, one from uh, Andrew Smith, one from Sean Van Zant, none from uh, Zach Kahn, but they still found a way to get it done. They only shot 23.8% 23, 23. from three that game as well, had 32 rebounds. 
you know, where Michigan State was led by Darrell Summers, then Keely Lucius. Uh, Draymond came off the bench and had 12 points. So Butler finds himself in the national championship game in Indianapolis playing, of all teams, the Duke Blue Devils. If there was any team that was going to bring out a crowd to catch, to even out against Duke, it was Butler because it was it was a Cinderella. We've never seen a team like this get to the national championship game, a horizon level or league level team, you know, these, these mid-major guys. But as a five seed coming in, playing at home, regardless of – I, I think they showed a stat on the news that they ran out of Butler T-shirts because everybody's yeah. buying and buying and trying to get in there and, you know, support the team because like our poll, I don't care if it's tight or not, Duke is <laughs> one of the most hated teams in the country. Everybody loves to see them lose. You're either with them or against them. There's no in-between. So the fandom coming out of the state with Butler to come out to cheer against them to try and knock off the Dukies was, was awesome. Just awesome. Yeah, you definitely had – it was almost like good versus evil, right? Oh, yeah, good, David uh, Goliath type thing. And the night – was it the final four night that the, we had a, the storm come through? Or was it national championship? Storm came through it here. National championship. National championship. And we didn't even get to watch half of it. We had to listen to the radio old school style because our TV got knocked out. Uh-huh. Yep. Um, I'll never forget that. So we're listening to the game. Duke led by Kyle Singler. They have John um, Shire, John Shire Nolan, Smith, Nolan, Nolan Smith, Smith, Ryan Zubak. Yep. The whole cast crew of Duke's known. And the Plumlee brothers off the bench. Yeah. And you got little old Butler here. And it's kind of the meeting of the same styles. Both similar, right? Both the way they played offense, both the way they played defense. Similar. At halftime, Duke's up one. But the story's not there. The story, the fight, it, this is one of the best championship games ever because they went back and forth. Duke's in the lead, Butler's in the lead. Duke's in the lead, Butler's in the lead. All the way for that whole second half, essentially, right? Duke would get maybe pull away three or four points. Butler storms back. Butler goes up a little bit. Duke storms back. Uh, just an incredible heavyweight fight between two clubs. And when it gets down to under a minute to go and Butler's got a chance to win the game, everybody, because this is how upsets happen. This is how miracles happen. If the little guy's in the game or he's still in the fight late in the, the game or the fight, he normally he's got a chance to win. Oh, yeah. And that's exactly where Butler put himself in position. So this is what everybody's here for. Duke is up what, one point – or they're up – I'm trying to figure out how this was. They were up. Zubat goes to the line. He gets yep. fouled, goes to the free throw. Because that's what it was. They were up. Butler has a shot at shot down there. Gordon Hayward gets a beautiful off the right left block, little isolation in the post, turn around, a shot he hits nine times out of ten. Uh-huh. It hits the side rim, rolls in and rolls out. So like, ah, oh, that's it. They foul. Zubak from Duke goes to the free throw line. He makes one to put him up 61-59, misses a second one on purpose because there's not a lot of time. Hayward gets the ball. Crosses over Matt Howard, Matt obliterates Howard. Kyle Singler with the screen. That was Coach, screen. Coach K's losing his mind. They get the legal screen. I mean, he set I and mean, he obliterated Kyle yeah. Singler. Well, he's just so short and stout. Uh-huh. And then Singler had a little bit of height on him, so it just right wrecked his neck over his shoulder. I loved it. <laughs> <laughs> he he obliterated, him. and then the shot and the still frame that oh. everybody remembers from just outside half court. Gordon Hayward to win the national championship. They capped this fairy tale run, right? Butler's in the state of Indiana, blah, blah, blah. The most pretty 
shot from half court I've ever seen. Not go in. <laughs> Not go in. It when it left his hands, everybody's like, "Oh my god, oh my god!" And you watch the still frames from every angle. You watch it looked good, and it hit just a little too high off the backboard and skated off the rim. He was had the shot been three inches to the left, a little bit more, it banks in, and Butler wins the national championship on a heave. Fate has it; it scoots out. Duke wins by the skin of their teeth, gets another national championship. But what an incredible run for Butler! Yeah, it was it was something. It, it's like that's the frame. It's not even the shot for me that sticks out the most. It was that screen. God, that screen, and then and then Zobak's ugly face running around screaming at the end of the game. But just this the the image of that screen is is something that always stuck out to me. And then and then the, the shot. There's that's always a big factor. But just just like you said, it just it hits the top of the, the square, hits the front of the rim, hits the backboard again, and then falls off to the left. It was it could have been you know one of the the greatest stories ever told, but it still is. But oh, we we just didn't get the icing on the cake this year. That would have went down had he hit that shot and gave Butler a national championship, beaten Duke, and all everything that surrounds it. That would have been maybe the number one moment in college basketball history. Oh, they'd make uh, a movie about it. They'd make yeah, a movie about it for no sure. Doubt. Um. So, Butler, uh, this historical run, everybody's like, oh, man, that's crazy. I'm happy they got there. Sad they didn't win, go ahead and win the whole thing. But what a run, right? Um, how are you ever going to top this? We're going to take a pause for the cause, and when we come back, we've got part two of this incredible Butler story. We'll, let you, we'll fill you in on the other side. What's happening, College Hoops fans? It is Conrad Cushman from the Everything Pro Wrestling Podcast, and I'm here to tell you how you can follow Everything Pro Wrestling. First, go to your Facebook, type in the search bar, Everything Pro Wrestling. Look for our official page with over 1,000 likes and make sure you give it a like. Also, we have a closed group with over 200 members in it where you can join discussions and talk about anything and everything pro wrestling. We also have a Twitter handle, and that is at epw show and we have a podcast and the podcast is available on anchor apple Podcasts, google Podcasts, spotify and stitcher and remember everything pro wrestling is a show by the fans for the fans now let's get back to talking some college hoops so how do we top a national championship game appearance reeling off by the time that they get to their 25-some wins, and playing in your own backyard for national championship as an underdog been major school. Well, it's simple. You make the damn title game again. Um, <laughs> Run it back. And this is the crazy thing. So after that 29-2010 incredible run, Gordon Hayward leaves and goes pro. Not a lot of people really expect it, but I mean, he had this run, all eyeballs on him. He ends up getting drafted in the first round. So Butler's not only are they trying to make this historical run again, but they're doing it without their best player, their top scorer, everything. Not not likely, right? So Butler comes into the 2010-2011 season. Um, again, again, probably underdogs. Ah, oh, it's a good run, whatever. We've seen George Mason make the Final Four, but, you know, they'll, they'll dip. Butler brings in – you know, a couple three-star kids and a two-star kid, nothing to really write home about. They bring back, though, 
senior Matt Howard. They bring back junior Shelvin Mack, junior Ronald Norad, sophomore Andrew Smith, sophomore Chase Stigall, senior Sean Van Zant, senior Zach Kahn. So a lot of guys from the previous year that had that great experience from the Final Four just without Gordon Hayward. They open the year up. Um, those uh, they open the year up. They like to play in state guy. They played Marion. They're actually here's a little bit of trivia, Peyton. You'll know this. Butler, the first team to open up the, the brand new KFC Yum Center. Yeah, brand first team. Louisville puts it on them eighty eight seventy three. But what I remember from that game, it pissed a lot of people off. Even Patino and the crowd. Louisville's up. They're up double digits with like forty seconds ago. Butler still fouls. Everybody's ah, oh, just let it run out. And Brad Stevens after the game said, "I'm teaching my kids to play all the way through the game. You don't quit." So yeah, okay, but it did piss a lot of people off because normally if you're down that much, you know the game's completely out of reach. You just let time run out. Yeah. But he uses a teaching <clears throat> moment. Yeah, that, you work on scenarios. That exactly right. That um again, it goes to show the the genius that is Brad Stevens. Uh, you know, rolling through the schedule, Butler gets a couple wins. They an upset loss in overtime to Evansville at home. Uh, not expected. Then you play the number one team. You get your title rematch. Uh, December fourth of twenty ten. You play Duke. Just what December? You six months after you play this historic national championship game, you play the number one team in America, Duke, led by Kyrie Irving. You play them in East Rutherford, New Jersey, and again, Duke wins 82-70. to 70. You come back five days later at Xavier, you lose by two. So at this point in the year, Butler is sitting at four and four. Again, everybody thinks, oh, last year was great. You know, if they make a tournament this year, maybe make Sweet 16, they'll be all right. They go down to the Diamond Head Classic win it. Before you know it, they're sitting at 10 and four. They don't run the table this time on the Horizon League. They, Lord, no. They actually – let me see where that was here. Where was – I just lost the Horizon League. They actually don't even win the Horizon League. They split the Horizon League that year with Milwaukee and Cleveland State. All three teams go 13-5. and five. So, obviously, it's not the same Butler team as the year before, but nor should it have been. I mean, if you lose Gordon Hayward, your best player off of your team, and you're a mid-major. Yeah, things going to change. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, nothing's going to stay the same. But they managed to win the Horizon League tournament, get that automatic bid into the NCAAs. So here we go again. <laughs> um, before we go into the tournament, though, they started the year off preseason 17. After week one, they were 16, and that was the only time they were ranked all year. Now, how crazy is that? <clears throat> they, they were ranked basically one week of the year. Yeah, they fell off, and and being in this league that they are at the time, it's it's hard to prove yourself within a five game non conference schedule. It's it's tough to get out there and really put a stamp on it. And then when you're going into conference and playing teams like Green Bay and Wright State, and you're losing to teams like Youngtown State and stuff, it's it's hard to keep that number next to your name. Absolutely, and but why I think this helped this what took them a little bit too because you see they lost three games in a row at one point there at the end of January, early February. But what helped them too is adjusting to eventually Shelvin Mack having to be the leader or be the the guy who goes and gets buckets, and Matt Howard being the guy that does everything. So they had to all adjust to new roles. Um, man, just 
hypothetically, if they had Gordon Haywood for this run again, Butler might have won the title. I, I mean, all things considered. <clears throat> so they make the NCAA tournament. They roll in as a – they were an eight seed. Yeah. Yep. Rolling as an eight seed, playing Old Dominion nine seed. First round, this is the things to come. This 2011 NCAA tournament was the most wacky tournament I've seen in a long time. Butler has to escape by the skin of their teeth. Matt Howard, was it a putback, Peyton? Putback, yep. Matt Howard on a putback to escape Old Dominion in the first round, or this, that, that hopes of getting back to the Final Four is over with. Yep. Say it's a fluke if that was the case. But Matt Howard's there at the right place, right time. You know, tip in, uh-huh. or put back, Butler moving on. Now, here we are. Remember in the year previous, they played the number one seed Syracuse. Powerful team. That's that. This year in the second round, they're playing the number one seed Pittsburgh Panthers. Pittsburgh, uh, again, out of the Big East. Pittsburgh, an absolute power. Coached by Jamie Dixon. On that Pittsburgh team, I'm trying to remember. Dewan Blair, correct? Um, he was gone at the time. They had, oh my God, I cannot even think of his name right now. A little short point guard with the dreads. Yeah, um, Brown. They had Wanamaker, Wanamaker. Uh, Gibbs. So this Pittsburgh team, of course, was loaded. Number one seed. Tyler, the craziest. We had to go back and watch it before we started recording. Yeah. I'll never forget this. I was sitting at home sick that night watching the NCAA tournament. Didn't go to the race. I was sitting here watching this. I'll never, ever forget this because, A, how sick I was, but watching this game. Second round in state tournament, eight seed Butler, one seed Pittsburgh. We've already laid the foundation. The craziest ending, Pittsburgh is – sorry, Butler shoots free throws, hits a free throw. Yes, yes. Hits yes. a free throw, goes up. Pittsburgh throws the ball in. And Shelvin Mack guides the Pittsburgh guard out of bounds and fouls him by bumping him. Pittsburgh goes to the free throw line for a chance to win the game. Uh-huh. What, he hit one? He hit one. Tied it up. Missed the second one. There's less than a second left. Yeah. <laughs> the craziness. Misses the free throw. Matt Howard's there, grabs the rebound. And the dude from Pittsburgh, can't think of who it was, Wraps his arm around Matt Howard, and Matt instinctively throws the ball up like he's shooting. And there's always there's already been a precedent of you're going to call fouls. You called the one on Shelvin Mack. You're going to call this one. Matt Howard gets to go to the free throw line with less than a second left to shoot two free throws to win the game. He hits the first one, misses the second one on purpose. Pittsburgh, by the time he gets the ball, shot or the time's run out. Butler escapes again, moving on. But how crazy. Have you ever seen an ending like that where – you shoot free throws, and then you foul, and you give Pittsburgh a chance to win, and then they miss the free throw to after to win it, and they foul you 94 feet from the back. The craziest snare I've ever seen. There's a lot of a lot of yin and yang back and forth on that. I mean, we could talk about the Virginia stuff this past year being kind of kind of crazy, but it was it wasn't up to this. It wasn't up to that level, and it like you said, I got the chance to sit down and remember watching this game too, and it was just like. You were just puzzled on why why would you foul or get into that situation with Mac in the first place, and then the, the cat wrapping up Howard. Like what what was going through your mind to to grab this dude and sling him down like that? It was just it was it was puzzling to watch at the time. You got to know score and you got to know time. You got to know that you're tied up 
and they got to go 94 feet to even beat you with like a second left under a second. And you're underneath the rim as is. Just keep your hands up or keep them away from them. You're not going to hit a shot. No. And he, the kid from Pittsburgh, I'm sure he regrets it now. But he had his arm wrapped around Matt Howard, and Mallet just did the smart thing and threw his arms up like, yep, the, the crazy. Play into it. So mm-hmm. Butler's back to Sweet 16, and they meet four seed Wisconsin. Oh, and by the way, Shelvin Mack, you want to talk about his uh, his improvement? Put up 30 on Pittsburgh. Seven <laughs> he became so clutch. He made himself this, this season, especially this tournament run made Shelvin Mack. That's why he's still in the NBA now. Yep. Uh, clutch, just pulling up off the dribble, make a sweet 16. You play four seed Wisconsin, Butler kind of handily. I mean, they won 61 54, but is never really in contention too bad. No. From what I remember, Matt Howard with a double, double 20 and 12. Uh, on Wisconsin, anytime you can do that to a Bo Ryan team as well. But you see the theme. I mean, they put up 71 against Pittsburgh, but like last year, the previous year, scores kind of stayed between that, you know, low 70, even in the 50 range. Um, Butler, though, Butler's back to the lead eight. Great season, right? I mean, no way in hell are you going to another Final Four. You're playing two-seed Florida. Florida has... Uh, God, I want to say it's Bradley Beal. It was not Bradley Beal. Who was on that Florida team that year? Uh, Pey- Peyton's pulling it up uh, now. We pull it up. Peyton's pulling it up. Anyways, they play the two-seed Florida, and Shelvin Max drops 27. Oh, Vernon Macklin. You remember Vernon Macklin? He had that receding hairline. He had the dreads, wore the headband. I mean, it was worse than LeBron at one point. <laughs> Um, they had Chandler Parsons. Yep. That's right. Vernon <laughs> Macklin. Um, Walker. They had Kenny Boyton. Dude, Pat, Patrick Young, Scotty Wilbekin, that Florida team was good. Holy hell, they were good. Butler goes into overtime, knocks them off 74-71. If I remember right, they hit a shot late in the game to win it, too. I think uh, Shelvin Mack hit the shot late. I can't remember. I think Shelvin Mack hits a shot late. But anyways, they win by three. Shelvin Mack goes for 27. Tyler Butler is back to the final four. And it's not from no easy road. You run through number one, number four. And then number two, Old Dominion, you know, at the time was a nine seed, but you're you're running through some some talent. You're not just you're not no cupcake schedule. You're not playing like a bunch of Virginia Commonwealths back in the day, but that's who you got next. VCU, number eleven seed. They're on their Cinderella story as well. They saw Butler do it last year. Said, "Hold my beer, let's try it." Uh-huh. So it's this was a matchup, and this matchup was a tightly contested game. Absolutely. That was the VCU team. I love that team. I do too. I know. I mean, they were able to upset Kansas, knock them off. Um, boy, that's a game, too. They just hit. That style, too. Shaka Smart became one of my favorite coaches at that point. Shaka Smart, VCU, a little background on them. Pressed you the whole game. And if you get in the half court, they defend you hard man to man. They ran and shot threes. That Kansas game, they hit a ton of threes. Turned Kansas over. Doubled down the post. Like, Play with so much passion. It'd make everything difficult. There was there was no foot on that floor that wasn't someone in your face. That VCU team, um, again, played that style up and down. So it was a contrasting style because you get um, – and, again, like Tyler said, it's you know, Butler as an 8 seed, VCU is 11, two Cinderella's in all aspects. And on the other side of the Final Four, you had the heavy hitters, Kentucky and Connecticut. You know, this VCU team – Fast up and down, wanted to get a you know play at a high pace, and Butler the contrast would like to grind you out. 
So it was a battle of wills. And I'll go on record and say this 2011 Final Four in Houston, Texas, it was the worst Final Four ever. Shooting percentage, it was awful. Like the backdrop, nobody shot well in this Final Four. Shooting percentage was down. Everything. in It was the worst Final Four. I'll just go on record and say that. Mm-hmm. But Butler and VCU got after each other. Butler jumped out early. I remember VCU made a run to get back to him, and Butler closed him out like they do everybody. Butler actually put up set. They held VCU to 62, and they scored seven themselves. Nobody would have expected that coming into it. Shelvin Mack again leads the Bulldogs with 24, and here we are again, fellas. Butler is back in the national championship game. Yeah, buddy. <laughs> I mean, you just there's there's no explanation for why they did this, especially after losing Gordon to the NBA. You know, and then just bringing in a couple three star kids, trying trying to fill that void. You, if you told me after that Duke game that Butler was going back the next year, I'd have smacked you. Like you're nuts. But here they are, proving everybody in the world wrong. Playing against VCU, who is another hot young team coming up with, like you said, Shaka Smart leading the way. It was just. It was storybook again. I mean, this this was like – this is one of the things that will never not be spoken of when they talk about the NCAA tournament. You know, that's absolutely right. Um, so, here we are again. Butler's back in the final – or, sorry, the national championship game, playing again another historical power. And really all eyes are on them thinking, Butler, can they finally get it? Can they get it? They didn't get it last year. Can they get it this year? And I talked about the final four being awful this year. This game set basketball back 50 years. And in the first half, shooting percentages were – at halftime, Butler was up 22-19. Of the national championship game, Butler was up 22-19. This isn't your mid-Hoosier conference eighth grade, you know, conference game. This is the national title game of the NCAA. It's wild. Here's how bad this national championship game was. And the Final Four as a whole. Like I said, Butler's up at halftime 22-19. As a whole. Oh, my God. I can't believe I'm here to say it. As a whole, Butler shot 18.8% from the field for the game. Connecticut, 34.5% from the field. Wowzers. That literally, it was like if somebody just got out there and just shot with both hands and shot from 35 feet hoping to hit to hit a shot. Raindrops. Long came Polly. Just yeah. smacking off the backboard. <laughs> Three-point percentage. Butler shot 27.3%. Connecticut, Connecticut shot 9.1% from three. And I bet you that was a big part between Kimba Walker and Jeremy Lamb and Shabazz Napier, a collective three-headed monster just chucking off the rim that day. <laughs> Turnovers, <clears throat> UConn 11, Butler 6. Rebounds, Connecticut 55-42. Now, of course, rebounding's totals are going to be high whenever you have so many missed shots. Oh, yeah. yeah. 55 rebounds in a college basketball game. Yeah, that's crazy. We got, you got Matt, we're talking about these percentages. I got them down by person here for Butler. Matt Howard went 1 for 13. Mack went 4 for 15. Van Sant went 2 for 10. Andrew Smith, two for nine. Chase Diggle, three for 11. It's terrible. UConn side, they had Kimball Walker go five for 19. Jeremy Lamb's the only one that had any type of good shooting thing other than Alex Akrai. Uh, Jeremy Lamb went four for eight, and Alex went five for six. Roscoe Smith, 0 for two. Tyler Olander, one for three. And Sebastian Napier came off the bench, one for six. 
just awful, awful. I mean, you just, I don't know if it was jitters. I'm pretty sure it's part of the backdrop as well in Houston that it was just a dead zone. But it was it was a collective cluster of crap. <laughs> this was one of the worst, like, visual games to see of all everybody's like oh virginia sacked watch last year you should if you go back and short-term memory loss guys you go back and watch this crap this was terrible as far as a shooting performance to see yeah this was awful um and both teams we've seen it throughout the runs anyways both teams can score both teams can and it had to have been the the combination of the backdrop like the shooting depth messing with people's eye vision um like the rims were tight. I remember watching you'd hit it and you'd go, yeah. Uh, it was just terrible. Butler fails again to win a national championship in back to back years. UConn rode that incre- incredible hot streak of Kimball Walker and company. Um, they had won, I think, 11 games in a row to win, cap off a national championship. But Kimba, you know, Kimba's on an eight year streak still. Yeah. Just, just still, just nuts. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, they don't win they don't win the title. They make it two years in a row, they don't win it. In scenarios if it's Kentucky, Kansas, Duke, Carolina, and we don't win it back to back years, it'd be a failure or disappointment, right? Oh, they they'd be calling you a failure, anything. Yeah. Any of these blue bloods, if you go there twice in a row and you, you get knocked off two times in a row, you're getting smacked in the face by the media, especially if you're a Duke. Especially if you're a Kentucky, just just because they're the the love to hate teams. Yeah, but you know Carolina, they they give them crap too. They give Kentucky or Kansas crap. Or even you, if UCLA went ahead and did it again, they'd still get crap just because their name IU. But you know Butler, this was just a super impressive runs back to back. Just all the scenarios. You're in the Horizon League. You go there and you play against Duke. You you lose by the last second. You go the next year, you don't have your best player, and like Josh said, you're, you're shifting roles and you're shifting positions. And then you, you get a three-way tie on the horizon, you still squeak in. It's because they won the league uh, tournament. But then they go in they go in there again. They're playing the number one seeds again, number two seeds, and they're just they're playing against highly talented teams. They just ran into a hot streak of UConn. But this was this was something to behold. I'm 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 not surprised that this one won on the poll for us. But this this was just a, a very cool run to watch, and and to reminisce and, and check out and to go back and, and review what we did to bring to you guys. Yeah, um, I couldn't. That's actually really well put. You know, Butler. It's still talked about to this day. People always remember it. No, they didn't win it, but they made it in a time where you know, school like Butler wasn't making it, and they made it two years in a row to the point where they. They were the first team to reach consecutive Final Four without being a one or two seed either year. By reaching the 2011 NCAA Division I Basketball Tournament Championship game, they were the third eight seed to do so, and the first since the 84-85 Villanova Wildcats. They were the first non-BCS school to reach the championship game back-to-back season since 60-61 and 61-62 Cincinnati Bearcats. Of course, the Big O led them. Uh, they were the first team to reach the championship game without being ranked in the final college basketball poll since 87-88 Kansas Jayhawks. We won it that year. Yep. They were the first national runner-up to return to the championship game since 90-91 Duke Blue Devils, not including Fab Five teams affected um, by the scandal. You know, all this historical stuff, and keep in mind, 
They did these back-to-back, and Brad Stevenson's third and fourth season as a head coach in Division One. Third and fourth seasons. And you see how important he is. I mean, kind of doing a little, you know, he stayed a few more seasons. Butler stayed good, never got back to that point. And the Boston Celtics came calling. You see how good he's been with the Boston Celtics. Oh, um, yeah. and, and Butler's never been back to that to that level. Reunited with Gordon yeah. and Boston, you know, so they, they're getting to continue their their partnership there. A thing that some of you may know, but people that are listening outside of our the local area doesn't. Hinkle Fieldhouse. Josh and I actually have got to play there as a practice and watch a game live twice. We got to run the floor. We got to shoot shots on the on this historical gym. It was a very, very cool and surreal experience playing in a, in a gym with such rich history. Uh, our high school coach, Steve Todd, he was in connection with one of the assistants at the time uh, under, under Brad. And he was so so nice to let us come in and and use the facility. We got to tour it a little bit, and then we'd get to, we went out and had lunch, and then we came back and we got to watch him. I think both years we got to watch him play Cleveland State. Mm-hmm. But you know, getting getting to you don't get to do this as a small town kid. This this was something that we got to reach out and go and you know see the floor. You see it on on TV where it's got like the the parts where it come apart, but you get to feel it. You know, you get the elevation stepping up yep. on the court, the extra 10 feet from high school to college. It was just – it was such an awesome experience. So that was another memory that that strung up in my mind about this Butler team because we actually got to be in the facility. We got to run Hinklefield House for a couple times. It was just a super cool experience. I know that you enjoyed it as well. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up too to not be lost because this is – this run these Butler made two years in a row – was alluded to like the Hoosier story. And the, the ironic part is if you go back to the Hoosiers, which is based off the Milan team back in 54, the state championship game was played in Hinkle Fieldhouse in the home of Butler. So it's so crazy to tie into all that. Peyton, I know you had a story on the Gordon Hayward shot you wanted to share. Yeah, so that game, that championship game was obviously on Monday. Uh, I was in third grade that year. Um, so it was a school night for me. And um, – <clears throat> so, so that was a school night for me. I didn't get to watch the game because I just came home from practice. We had the storm and everything like that. So you guys had to listen to it, and I had to go to bed early. But um, the next night on Tuesday, I went to school, and uh, shout out to Mr. Tudor, my third grade coach, or not coach, my third grade um, teacher. If he's listening to this, uh, me, my friends, Bryce Burton, we was in his class, and that shot was like so iconic. That, that unmade show was so iconic that we ended up watching it on YouTube and seeing it how it unfold and see how Gordon Hayter was so close to hitting that shot. The next day, or not next day, we went to recess, and all of us, we basketball fans, we usually play basketball. We was trying so hard. We'd get to the free throw line and try to miss the shot perfectly, try to do everything perfectly. Hmm. we try to go to half court, lean over like Gordon Hayward did, set the screen. We did everything some of us got it, some of us didn't. But the fact that we're out there trying to make that unmade shot perfectly, like who tries to do that now? Yeah, and that was so fun. It's probably one of my favorite memories from elementary. Yeah, it, the, the Butler runs left, and it's left a mark on everybody in the state and in the nation. I mean, books have been written about it, and what an incredible run! 
Speaking of an incredible run, segueing, um, as always, you know, you guys voted on this Butler topic, which hopefully I feel like went good. I've yeah. enjoyed talking about. But our next one, next week, as voted on you, winning the poll on a close margin. 40 minutes of hell are coming your way. The story of the 1990s Arkansas Razorbacks led by Nolan Richardson, which really, the style of play, it's called 40 minutes of hell. Influence a lot of teams, a lot of players, myself included as a coach, modeled the way I'd like to press under from the 40 minutes of hell, the the style in which they played, the swagger. It'll be a great episode because I've got a lot, again, um, personal stories based upon my experiences watching the 40 minutes of hell. And, um, you know, breaking some barriers, Nolan Richardson being in Arkansas winning title and um, NBA players, Corliss Williamson and them, it's going to be a good episode. So that's what won our poll. And next week you will get 40 minutes of hell. And I'm excited for that one. Yep. I'm excited. You know, I was always a fan of the Razorbacks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so with that being said, um, before we get out of here today, kind of wrapping up, any last minute things, uh, Memorial Day today, any, any kind of last minute things before we wrap up today, Peyton? Um, I mentioned that they recess and all that stuff, so that was fun. But, uh, yeah, Butler, iconic run to go back-to-back to titles and back-to-back years. That's very hard to do. Even for a mid-major, that's super hard to do. And uh, the fact that in 2010, Gordon Hayward almost hit that shot, and then the next year, the best player, Gordon Hayward, went to pro, and Shevin Mack really stepped up. You mentioned We mentioned in the tournament. He had like a 30-point game, 27-point game, and a 24-point game, all in a three-game span right there. That's incredible to do. He really stepped up. And what a run by Butler, just for mid-major, and especially to be here in Indiana, to watch that, that was just crazy. Tyler? Yeah, it's a Memorial Day, guys. While you guys are out there enjoying your beers and burgers and brats, don't forget the reason why you got the day off. This is for the people that protected and served our country and then lost their lives as well. And they have the active duty guys as well. So don't don't forget the meaning of this. This is always fun for us to get over here and hang out on our day off as well to, to do this. But there's a reason why we have the day off and get a chance to remember these guys. So don't don't take advantage and don't don't ever forget why we do why these days are taken, especially Memorial Day. It's it's a super, super important day to, to keep in mind and keep refreshed, especially as a as we go on, you know, all this all the political stuff's coming up, all the the voting and stuff coming on for our presidential election next year. So let's uh, let's keep that in the back of our mind and keep everything going and stay stay true to our nation, fellas. I know we get a little riled up, and I do too. But it's Memorial Day. Let's let's take a moment and, and remember and and do it the right way. Yeah, um, you guys kind of you know said it for me. Other than that, you know, keep buying our merch. Go to yep. tpublic.com slash user slash ECB podcast. Uh, merchandise shout out to people who've already bought stuff. Corey Bryant and uh, Johnny, Stroud. Johnny Stroud and everybody else across the, you know, Tyler, your your buddy, workout buddy. Um, oh, Joe Compton. Joe Compton. Joe Compton. You know, everybody buying stuff. Uh, we'll always, always, always put the link up. Follow our stuff. Give us a like, share, review, comment, and keep spreading the word. So other than that, I hope you guys enjoy your Memorial Day. Uh, you guys see a veteran out today or active duty member. Just shake their hand and tell them thank you. And other than that, we will catch you next week when we talk 
40 minutes of hell. Until then, closing episode 25, I'm Josh Burton. Peyton Burton. Tyler Cook. And we will see you next week. Boom! Boom.